It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. You're listening to the best of Gary Goldberg on the Money Matters Radio Network. Welcome to Money Matters with your host, Gary Goldberg. For over four decades, Gary has been helping people navigate their retirement portfolios. That was nine presidents ago, and the Dow was at 800. Through the ups and downs of the markets, our country, and our daily lives, Gary has seen it all and provides real money management for real people. Because after all, money matters. Now, here's Gary Goldberg. Hello, everybody. This is Gary Goldberg on Money Matters. Welcome to the program. I appreciate when you join me on Money Matters. As you long-term listeners know, Money Matters is very informative. What I attempt to do is educate. I give you the opportunity to ask questions of me. And at any time that you would like to have a face-to-face meeting with me, a Zoom meeting or a FaceTime meeting with me to ask questions about your own personal situation, I'm here to guide you. In my experience, which has lasted for more than four decades, it's the way that you make the decisions in buying stocks that's easy. To stay in is hard. How do you buy a stock? Well, either your broker tells you to buy this stock or Uncle Charlie gives you a hot tip or you hear about Bitcoin, you hear about crypto, you hear about all these things and you say, you know what, I'm going to take a shot. Buying is easy. To stay in a stock, as I said, is hard. If you see a decline occur in your portfolio, let's say your portfolio or a particular stock came down by 25%. In order to get back to even, you have to make 33% if you lost 25%. If you lost 50%, you'd have to make 100% to get back to even. What you need to do is discern what's really an investment, what's a speculation. If you are in a broadly diversified portfolio, markets tend to go higher. The way I want you to envision this, it's very important for you to look at investing from the bottom up, not the top down. The bottom up is your fundamentally sound investments. Those are the bottom up one, the bottom of the triangle. Top down is some of the more speculative shots that you may take. And when people say to me, well, how'd the Dow do yesterday? It's one of the silliest questions I've ever been asked. We're all curious, but it's silly. Who cares? Immediate past performance proves nothing. You're not going to sell because the Dow came down by 30 or 40 points or 100 points, are you? No. So when people say, hey, how'd the market do yesterday? Ridiculous. Who cares? The next movement in the market on a longer term basis, I am rather certain, is going to be higher. So don't confuse volatility with risk. If you intend going for real wealth, you have to stick through the market volatility. See things the way they are, not just the way you want them to be. Sure, there are news headlines as we speak about what's going on around the world, what's going on with the political situation, the international situation. But anybody who's bearish on the future of this country, I think is going to go broke. Get used to market declines. Get used to market volatility. Expect a couple of bear markets every 10 years or so. 
expect a 10% decline every few years. They happen. That's the history of investing. And remember, you're not buying just stocks. You're not buying bonds. You're buying the peace of mind that you can achieve the important things to you. What's important to you? College funding. So find the right financial advisor who can help you get through the maze. And for many of you, it truly is a maze. And I invite you to call me and we can plod through some of the concerns that you have. Ask yourself, what did you do when the market came down 10 or 20%? If you did nothing, you came back. Here we are at market highs. You did best if you did nothing. If you use good investments, stay with them. Dollar cost averaging, where you put a certain amount of money in every period of time. That's a very sound way of investing. And you know what? My clients over the years always invested in me and my judgment. I saved them from panicking, from selling, and I helped them increase their inheritance. I was not concerned about short-term moves. The job of a good financial advisor is to create financial independence, not only in your generation, but for your heirs. The obligation is to a family when you are a financial advisor. And remember what I said, you make money when you buy, not when you sell. Be a reluctant seller. Volatility is not a risk. I have no idea what the next 2,000 point movement is going to be, or even the next 10,000 point movement is going to be. I don't know. It's an unknowable. What I do know is sound investments pay off over time. If you were to see your house in the newspaper every day in terms of its value, you'd get sick. It goes up and down, but you're not selling it. You don't freak out. What affects the price of a house? Well, inflation, the availability of lumber, the availability of low-cost mortgages. These are the kinds of things that affect the price of your house, but it's not published every day or every minute the way it is with stocks. So don't just panic. Things that are longer-term investments should remain your longer-term investments. The problem is not with the intellect that I'm describing. It's the emotion. It's the fear. When you sell, it's the loss of faith. The advance when you invest, I have found to be permanent. The decline is temporary. That's the beauty of this country. We have the opportunity to invest in quality, and markets tend to go higher. Forget about the question, what the market do yesterday or this past week does not matter. The major thing that will save you from panicking and selling is a good advisor and a good temperament. And I think you need to look in the mirror, as I said, and say, am I a good investor? If not, let me find an advisor who can hold my hand. And anybody, in my opinion, who's bearish on the future of this country, no matter what the headlines are dictating, will go broke. It's the income from your portfolio that's going to be very important to you as you go forward. It's not just the lump sum. It's what you do with that lump, lump sum. And remember, bottom-up investing, a good sound base at the bottom of that triangle will take you through the tough periods. Top-down investing is where the market is going to be over the next few days, the next six months, the next 12 months, not as important. 
Bottom up investing is where will my money be during the rest of my life and that of my children's life. That is the way you should address structuring your portfolio. My number 845-368-0010. I invite you to contact me at any time. You're listening to Money Matters with Gary Goldberg. Prefer staying at home? Let us do the shopping. Wegmans Delivery, powered by Instacart, lets you stock your pantry with all your favorites and fill your fridge with the freshest produce, meat, seafood, and more. Plus, we're here to make meals easy. Enjoy our delicious variety of sushi, sides, salads, and freshly prepared entrees. Order today at Wegmans.com or in the Wegmans app and we'll deliver right to your door. Wegmans Delivery, one more way we give you our best every day. Income matters, and it can come from many sources. We at Money Matters like dividend-paying stocks. We prefer high-quality dividend-paying stocks, not for everything in your investment portfolio and not all of the time. Still, if you're seeking income after retirement, look for companies with a history of raising their dividends on a regular basis. Give me a call, Gary Goldberg, at 845-368-0010. That's 845-368-0010. Talk to me about investing in high-quality, dividend-paying stocks and how to integrate them into your portfolio. Quality dividend-paying stocks can bring you income during retirement, even in years of a rough market landscape or a period of slow economic growth. Again, give me a call at 845-368-0010 for a conversation about dividend-paying stocks or to set up a no-charge, no-obligation consultation with me personally. I have been providing real money management for real people for over four decades. 845-368-0010. 845-368-0010. You're listening to the best of Gary Goldberg on the Money Matters Radio Network. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, you're listening to Gary Goldberg on Money Matters. And with me is a man named John D. Couch. You may not know the name, but uh, John has uh, written a wonderful book. It's entitled My Life at Apple and the Steve Jobs I Knew. This is real insight because John Couch was Apple's 54th employee. He's the former vice president of education at the company and certainly was there at the outset. John, welcome to Money Matters. Uh, it's a pleasure. I am curious, what would Steve Jobs say in terms of how Apple has done since his departure? Would he be proud of what has happened? Would he think there were some missed opportunities that maybe he saw that Tim Cook did not see? What do you feel as a person who was there at the very beginning? I, I, you know, I think he'd be proud of the financial results. At the same time, I think he'd be disappointed in um, in, in in the lack of innovation. Uh, you know, most most of the products are are extensions of existing products, and uh, nothing you know super revolutionary. And that, of course, is something that he was known for. I can't imagine what it was like starting at the very beginning. How soon after Apple began? Did you become their 54th employee? It was a matter of months, years. Uh, how long did it take? No, I joined the company in uh, in 78. And, uh, you know, they 
they fundamentally started the company in 77. So it, it was early enough, um, as you mentioned, being the 54th employee, uh, you know, the, the real growth of the company in terms of employees hadn't, hadn't begun yet. And um, I, go yeah. right ahead. Go, you go right ahead. No, I think uh, we probably were doing about $7 million a year. <laughs> $7 million a year, and here it is, the Apple that we know now. How did you happen to meet Steve Jobs? Uh, through a, uh, uh, my former board, boss at uh, Hewlett Packard, uh, Dr. Tom Whitney, who, who did the HP 35, the first handheld calculator. He was, he was hired by Apple uh, to be their vice president of engineering. Uh, I worked for Tom at, at Hewlett Packard where I ran uh, all the software uh, groups for the HP 3000. He uh, he was the one that set up the original meeting as a lunch at his home. So when I look at Steve Wozniak and I look at Steve Jobs, I see a pair of shoelaces. They go in different directions, at least from my perspective, personality-wise. Was Steve Wozniak somebody who was there when you started? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So uh, did they work well together? In your book, you cover uh, what it was like at Apple uh, in the early days. How did they blend together? Because quite frankly, Steve Jobs reminds me more of Jeff Bezos than he would of a computer nerd. Uh, and I think you're absolutely correct there. Uh, uh, you know, Waz is a genius. And uh, Waz uh, responded very well to, uh, you know, Steve, Steve believed in people and, and that people were capable of doing uh, greater things than they realized, and uh, he would push. And uh, I think part of the of the negative reputation that Steve uh, has gotten is from those people that he pushed and they failed, uh, versus those people that he pushed and they accomplished something that they had no idea they could they could do. Would you say that he was a bit different away from the cameras and the boardroom and uh, the convention stages behind the scenes? Did he act differently? Not at all. I mean, Steve was Steve, uh, you know, brilliant, um, confident, um, and, uh, you know, the, the same way he acted in, the, in our Wednesday morning meetings. Your role at Apple was the vice president of education. Do modern companies in the technology area have that title? Because I don't recognize the title any longer. Is there a different name for it? Because education, obviously, is first and foremost. Uh, well, you know, Apple was always organized very functionally, uh, engineering, software, finance, operations, etc. cetera. Uh, what Steve did for me, uh, was basically create a division where I was responsible for, for both the sales and the, and the marketing of, of education. So it was a unique it was a unique position at Apple. Uh, you know, Steve brought me back to Apple the second time, uh, not really having decided whether I would be vice president of education or, or vice president of um, applications, given the fact that my background was really uh, computer science. Uh, but you know, when I left Apple and I'd taken over a failed school in, in San Diego, I had 10, 10 years of it of experience in, in education markets. John, I had the uh, privilege of interviewing on Money Matters, uh, John Scully, the only man known for having 
fired Steve Jobs. Did you keep in touch with Steve at the time he was fired by John Scully? And if so, what was his reaction to that? Well, I mean, you know, Steve immediately moved on to, to new challenges. Um, and I mean, I had, he had contacted me a couple of times, uh, you know, just asking for some advice or, or um, recommendation for an, an individual. Um, you know, obviously he was bitter. Um, because, you know, John sort of, in his mind, took his company over. Um, and I'm not sure that, you know, bitterness ever really was resolved. Um, you know, you know, personally, I think it was a mistake. But, um, you know, uh, John had, had more you know, professional experience at the, at the time. And, and uh, the new products, uh, the Lisa and the Max, really hadn't taken off from a financial perspective. So most of the, of the revenue of the company was still the Apple II. Steve uh, ended up going back to uh, Apple Computer. How did that happen? Well, you know, Steve you know, went on to form in a new company called Next, uh, which was, you know, basically I'm going to do it again. And uh, they developed an operating system. The, the, the machine was not successful, but the operating system was uh, kind of ironic because the operating system that was in the, in the lease that was multitasking. And so a lot of the functionality of the new operating system that Steve had developed at, at next already had sitting on the shelves. Uh, but he was able to convince uh, uh, Gil, Gil Emilio to, to purchase that operating system after a number of failed attempts at building a new operating system uh, had already occurred at Apple. And so that sort of brought Steve back in, into the fold. And, um, you know, as you know, I mean, you couldn't, you know, couldn't ask for a better uh, impedance mismatch than, than Gil Emilio and Steve Jobs. Sure. You know, when I watched Jeff Bezos uh, launch into space, I um, could not help but think that along with Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, perhaps Steve Jobs would have had that quest to go into space as an adventurer in many ways. What do you think? Very possible. Um, you know, I mean, Steve just, you know, Steve thought differently and, uh, and in a lot of cases act differently than, than, than most individuals. Uh, you know, I think, you know, Steve, Steve, Steve was always disappointed that that he was adopted. And so he always, he, I think he always sort of set these goals for him that would, in his own mind, would, would, would say, you know, um, I was, I was, you know, um, I'm better than being adopted. Did you speak with him after he was diagnosed with his uh, fatal disease? Yes. He called me one Saturday morning and, um, Sort of, you know, sort of said, you know, you know, how's how's life? How, how's how's the new wife? Um, you're one of the most trustworthy people I know. And at that point, you know, I said, Steve, what's wrong? You recognize there was a little different approach in his conversation at that point. Yeah, Steve, Steve, Steve didn't didn't share his, you know, he didn't wear his emotions on his sleeve. He, you know, he kept to himself. So when, when you know, when something got serious and it in a conversation, you, you knew that something was really bothering them. I, just, I saw that when we were flying in Italy one time, and we were at the airport, and there was a bomb threat. And uh, they said, okay, well, everybody, you know, sit quietly while we remove the luggage. And Steve and I looked at each other and said, I think they ought to be removing us. 
And I think it kind of shook him up a little bit because on the flight, you know, he, he said, you know, I have a lot of respect for you because you're married and have a family and, and you work as hard as I work. Um, I really would like to get married. Uh, how could I find a good wife? You know, and I said, well, you know, I, I found my wife at, at, in college, but you didn't go to college. Maybe, you know, maybe you find a good wife at church, but you don't go to church. And, you know, we, this conversation went on for a little while and we realized that it was going to be very difficult for Steve to find a wife. Did he have any hobbies? And, you know, uh, yeah, Apple. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was everything. It was everything. And, uh, you know, in the, in the book, I talk about going over to his house one day and, and seeing a piece of paper in the front lawn, which was uncharacteristic. Because Steve was very, you know, feng shui. And I picked it up, and it was an Apple stock certificate for 400 million shares. And, uh, you know, I said, Steve, I think this belongs to you. And he goes, oh, yeah, it blew, it blew out the window. And he opened the dresser drawer and threw it in. And it was at that point that I knew that it was never about money for Steve. Never. Very interesting. So, ladies and gentlemen, the name of the book, My Life at Apple and the Steve I Knew. If you are a shareholder in Apple, and many of you are without realizing it, because if you own a large cap growth fund or even a value fund, you own Apple. The history of Apple is uh, amazing. And if you want to learn about the earlier days from the 54th employee, just pick up this particular book. John Couch, thank you very, very much for your appearance on Money Matters. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate My pleasure. It. So after the interview ended a moment ago, off the air, I asked John Couch, did he still have his Apple shares? He said, absolutely. There's the message that I was giving you earlier. Buy quality companies and hold them. That is what creates wealth. Don't be a trader. That's gambling. Buy quality and hold. 845-368-0010. And once again, thank you for the privilege of talking with you about the things that are in your mind about your money. We'll be back right after this. Money Matters with Gary Goldberg. What does it mean to stress test your portfolio? You might ask, why would I have to worry about stress testing my portfolio? The fact is, this is a sensible time to do so. A careful investor must be ready for potential downturns, a potentially rougher market climate, and ripple effects from geopolitical events and policies set in Washington. Diversifying your investments is one way to increase the resilience of your portfolio. Minimizing overall risk, investment costs, and tax considerations are other important aspects of concern as well. Proper planning and regular evaluations of your portfolio will better prepare you to weather the next market storm. Is your portfolio stress-tested? Well, give me a call. Gary Goldberg, a no-charge, no-obligation consultation is available to you to stress-test your portfolio. I will walk you through the entire process. 845-368-0010. That's 845-368-0010. Have you ever thirsted for or dreamt of becoming an entrepreneur, but you didn't quite know how to pursue that dream? Well, I can relate to you because I was that individual. Four decades ago, I started a company with $5,000 of my own savings, and I achieved real financial success. Well, I've decided to write a book for people who also want to pursue that dream, and I share my story along with how you can do it too. The title of the book is How Badly Do You Want It? And if the answer is badly, this book will help you to achieve the financial success that you aspire to reach for. 
There are testimonials from Steve Forbes, Suzanne Summers, Danny Wegman, and Joe Piscopo. And I encourage you to download How Badly Do You Want It, written by yours truly, Gary Goldberg. It is available on Amazon. And if you are interested in learning how to raise capital, how to convince people to invest in you, and how to attract clients and keep them for four decades, you want to pick up How Badly Do You Want It. All proceeds from the book go to the St. Jude's Children's Research Center. You're listening to the best of Gary Goldberg on the Money Matters Radio Network. I want to talk to you about a lot of confusion in the world of IRAs at this point. I remember when they introduced IRAs. I was already in business. They've been around since, if you can believe it, 1974. Here we are about close to 50 years later, about 50 million households use IRAs to save for retirement. And there's confusion. People get it wrong about these retirement accounts. I want to clarify some of the changes that have been made to IRAs, how you can use your IRA, how you should use your IRA on this show today. Many people forget, first of all, how much they can contribute to an IRA. And there have been changes made. But for 2021, this year, contributions that you make each year to your traditional IRA, the regular old-fashioned IRA, $6,000 a person if you're under the age of 50, $7,000 a person if you are older. If you're a couple, double it. There are levels that you cannot get the tax deduction on an IRA if you earn a certain amount of money. So again, check with your accountant to see whether or not you get the tax deduction. If you don't, does it still make sense to put money in an IRA and have the earnings grow tax deferred? I think so. Also, a Roth could work. I like Roths. If you're not getting the tax deduction on a regular IRA, at least the income grows tax-free. People don't realize that they may be able to contribute to an IRA even if they have a 401k plan. Again, it depends upon your income. So you can put money into a 401k. You can put money into an IRA. The benefit of an IRA is that you can invest in almost anything. You cannot invest in collectibles like artwork or antiques or stamps or even uh, life insurance. You can invest in annuities, but not in life insurance itself. In a 401k, you're limited to the choices that the administrator of the 401k has. So an IRA gives you much more flexibility. A big mistake people make is that when you put money in an IRA, you think that the beneficiary is going to be who your will designates as your beneficiary. Uh-uh. The IRA document asks you for your beneficiary and your contingent beneficiary. That takes priority over your will. If you are of the opinion that you want a certain person to get the IRA benefit when you die, and if you think the will is taking care of it, you are absolutely wrong. Now, it may match up, but the IRA beneficiary takes precedence. When a person dies, same with a 401k. You need to designate a beneficiary as well as a contingent beneficiary. Typically, if you're married, your spouse, in most cases, 
should be your beneficiary in an IRA because they then are able to take the money upon your death and not pay taxes on it. Children and other designees will have to pay taxes, and I'll describe that in just a moment. But first and foremost, check the primary and secondary beneficiary designations on all of your retirement accounts, whether it is a Roth, a traditional, a 401k, an annuity, wherever you name a beneficiary, that is who is going to get the money, not your will. Your will will not designate who gets those types of accounts. If you are in a situation where your children or somebody else is going to get the money rather than a spouse, the law was changed. It was changed under something called the SECURE Act. It put the kibosh on what used to be the stretch IRA where the beneficiary of whether it was a child or somebody else could stretch out the money that you designated to them over their lifetime. That has been changed this past year. Now, whoever inherits an IRA other than a spouse has just 10 years to take all the assets out in the account. They don't have to take it out every year. They can wait the full 10 years and then get banged. IRA designations are so important to look at. IRAs are really a tax time bomb to the beneficiaries who lost out on that stretch IRA. Distributions are taxable as ordinary income also. Your cost basis on an IRA, guess what? It's not what you paid for the stock or the mutual fund. It is zero. The cost basis is zero. There was no money ever paid in taxes. For some people, it may make sense to spend all of their IRA money during their lifespan and not leave the tax burden to their children who may be in higher tax brackets. 100% of the value of an IRA is taxed as ordinary income. No losses, no gains. Keep that in mind. One last comment about IRAs. There's a misconception that IRAs are creditor protected from lawsuit judgments. That is not necessarily the case. IRAs are not ERISA plans. They don't receive the ironclad protection that ERISA plans provide. They're shielded from bankruptcy creditors up to a certain dollar amount. A lot of money, though. $1,362,000 is shielded from creditors in bankruptcy. That dollar amount does not include rollovers from company plans, by the way. So for most people, there is protection from creditors in a bankruptcy. But, again, check with your accountant, and if you're going through a bankruptcy, make sure that your attorney knows how much is in your IRA account. During this period of market turmoil, many people have gotten spooked. They've gotten spooked to the point that they have sold some of their investments that were designed to last in their portfolios for a longer period of time. It's understandable. You're human. You hear about all the travail in Washington. You hear about all the potholes in the road. Don't get spooked. Don't get unnerved. Keep in touch with your advisor. If your advisor is not keeping in touch with you, find another one. That's my advice to you. This is a period of opportunity, I believe, but you must not upset your long-term plan. If you have a short-term horizon in your investment portfolio, you should not be in the stock market. 845-368-0010. You're listening to Gary Goldberg on Money Matters. 
Money Matters with Gary Goldberg. Prefer staying at home? Let us do the shopping. Wegmans Delivery, powered by Instacart, lets you stock your pantry with all your favorites and fill your fridge with the freshest produce, meat, seafood, and more. Plus, we're here to make meals easy. Enjoy our delicious variety of sushi, sides, salads, and freshly prepared entrees. Order today at Wegmans.com or in the Wegmans app and we'll deliver right to your door. Wegmans Delivery, one more way we give you our best every day. Investment plans are not one size fits all. Your needs might be different from your neighbors and your friends. Are you looking to invest for long-term value? Do you need more income? What do you want to leave to your heirs? Cookie-cutter investment plans might suffice for some, but they don't work for everyone. Is your current financial strategy tailored to your needs? Call me, Gary Goldberg, at 845-368-0010. I will sit down with you, look at your state of finances and your investment needs, whether it be to prepare for retirement or if you are already enjoying your golden years and would like to make your money work better for you. We've been providing real money management for real people for over 40 years, weathering the ups and downs of the markets. Call me today for a free consultation about what kind of investment plan is best for you. 845-368-0010. That's 845-368-0010. And thank you for listening to Money Matters. You're listening to the best of Gary Goldberg on the Money Matters Radio Network. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Gary Goldberg on Money Matters. And with me is a, uh, a man who uh, grew up in the Bronx. Uh, he was a fellow stickball player. Anybody from the Bronx with any even minor athleticism played stickball, whether it was punch ball, stickball, box baseball. We all did the same thing on the summer evenings. And uh, his name is Sandy Frankel. He wrote a wonderful book about Leona Helmsley. He happened to have been her attorney. He was one of the surviving attorneys of Leona Helmsley. And as uh, he's written this book uh, that is just fabulous. It's called The Accidental Philanthropist from a Bronx Stickball Lot to Manhattan Courtrooms and, a, and Steering Leona Helmsley's Billions Sandy Frankel, welcome to Money Matters. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Where in the Bronx did you grow up? Because I know a lot of our listeners also grew up in the Bronx. I grew up a block from the Yankee Stadium. The address was 690 Gerard Avenue. And we could just walk uh, 10 seconds and we'd be at the stadium. Of course, we didn't have money to get in, but we could <laughs> walk, walk past it and, and, uh, and, and see it. Uh, <clears throat> there was a building right across the street from me where if you went up to the roof, you could actually look down and see the field, although the view was not that great. We were actually close enough to the stadium that you could get a feel for what was going on there. You could, when, when somebody hit a home run, you could just hear the roar of the crowd, and, and you knew the guy was circling the bases. And if, if the roar turned into a groan, you know it was just a long fly a out. long fly out caught by somebody. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I grew up uh, on Davidson and Burnside and uh, very similar backgrounds. And you graduated from Harvard uh, University and uh, became a lawyer. I went to law school for uh, three out of the six semesters and made a decision that I was not going to do the, uh, I was not going to be an attorney and it turned out fine. Uh, and, uh, that is, uh, the Bronx was certainly a starting ground for a lot of successful people. How do you explain that? Well, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, one way of looking at it is 
that uh, folks who grew up in the area that I grew up in, and, and it sounds like the area you grew up in as well, Gary, um, we weren't really born with with uh, silver spoons uh, right. in our mouths. You know, mm-hmm. we had to do some uh, hard scrabble work to get uh, anywhere. And uh, those of us who were fortunate, uh, fortunate enough look back, at, at least I do, and I, I, from what I know about you, Gary, you probably do as well, Look back to the the days in the Bronx as a pretty good a pretty good training ground. Yeah, I like to, to say to I like to say that's where I did my push-ups, and um, <laughs> it's a wonderful uh, comparison because some people never get to do the push-ups, and they were spoon-fed, as you said. And um, your success was really uh, fabulous uh, in your book. You really cover it. How did you meet Leona Helmsley? Well, in the late in the late nineteen eighties, you may remember that. Uh, Ferdinand and Marcos were under uh, Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos were under indictment, and I was representing. I was part of the team representing them, and I got a call one night, uh, offering uh, from from uh, a lawyer who just been brought on to handle the appeal of her federal conviction, asking me to join the team. And Marcos had enough lawyers at the time, so I I joined uh, uh, the team that was representing Mrs. Helmsley. She had just been convicted on uh, 30-something counts arising out of a uh, sophisticated uh, tax fraud scheme that the government claimed she was involved in. And then and, she uh, actually was sent to prison. Yes, yes. Uh, she, she received a substantial sentence, which we wound up uh, ultimately getting reduced, but she served uh, over 20 months in prison. I can't imagine what that was like for somebody like that. But does her persona, did her persona precipitate a lot of that? Because her, her, her nickname was the Queen of Mean. And I can't believe that helped her with that uh, description. Well, her, uh, I, I think that's right. And uh, her trial was that year's crime of the century. It was uh, on the front page of all of the tabloids, every hiccup got very wide publicity. And uh, ultimately, when she went to jail, it was quite a quite a come down, you know, from living in, in the lap of luxury uh, to being in a, to being in a prison. I remember the first uh, the first time I visited her, she was in, in she'd been in jail for one day. And uh, she was given a, a phone call privilege and she called me. And she was so frightened. She spoke to me in 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 Yiddish because I know maybe three or four words in Yiddish, which I had sprinkled in different <laughs> combinations during the time I knew her. And she spoke a bit of Yiddish, and she was afraid that she was uh, she was physically afraid for for her physical well-being, and she thought she was being uh, overheard. And so she called me and asked me to visit her. At the time, she was in a, a, a pretty secure provision uh, a prison in Lexington, Kentucky. I can't imagine what uh, somebody like. Jelaine Maxwell is going through. It's somewhat similar. Uh, they they uh, certainly led similar lives in terms of uh, affluence. And here you have Leona, well, Leona Helmsley at billions. I wouldn't say that's the case of uh, uh, Jelaine Maxwell. But uh, I'm sure the incarceration is hard to accept. And you're waiting for the next phone call to let you out. And it didn't happen for 20 months, Sandy. What was that like when you went to visit her on subsequent uh, opportunities. Well, it's 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 really sh- uh, quite a uh, a a culture shock to compare where where she was to where she wound up. Uh, you you may recall that she the, she used to run ads when she owned uh, the Palace Hotel. Only the Queen stands guard here, and she would have these 
flowing robes and she'd be festooned with diamonds uh, with her arms open welcoming guests. And when I went to see her the first time in Lexington, Kentucky, when I walked into this very, very uh, frightening looking prison, she was led in by a guard. She was wearing sweat, sweat clothing and uh, she was just with a bunch of other prisoners. She was nobody in particular, and that was something that she was not used to. So, I remember sitting down, with, sitting down with her, and she asked me, uh, uh, she expressed her fear to me, and I tried to reassure her that she had no reason for fear. And then she told me that what she really wanted was a bag of popcorn. Would I lend her a dollar? Wow. There was a, pop, there was a popcorn machine where we were sitting. So I gave her a bag of popcorn. Leona Helmsley was reduced from penthouse living and limousines and all of the things that money can buy into craving a dollar bag a of popcorn. dollar bag of popcorn. I remember the Lowe's Paradise, Sandy. Maybe you do, too, <laughs> up in Fordham Road. <laughs> oh, no, it was on the concourse. On the concourse. That's right. Well, <laughs> the, the theater we used to go to was called the Earl Theater, and you could get in for 25 cents. But that would pretty much eat into your supply of money for popcorn. I remember a lot of people had their first kiss at the Lowe's Paradise. <laughs> oh, you and must for, have been that guy sitting in the second row. <laughs> uh, they had usherettes back then, uh, <laughs> women in uniform. And I remember one of them telling me if I didn't behave, she knew my mother. And she, of course, she didn't. But I want to get back to you and Leona Helmsley. Uh, behind closed doors, not prison doors, in your book, you describe what she was like. Would you share it with us? Well, I suppose she was like you and me, Gary, except that she had $5 billion. And, and that makes a real difference in, in one's life. It, 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 it's not simply the luxury that you... That you uh, that you can get, you can have whatever you want, but it's, it affects the way you think people are looking at you. In all of the years I knew her, and I, I was basically her consigliere for close to 18 years, she never had someone who I would regard as a friend. She would always think that anybody who was trying to get close to her or doing something nice to her, or being nice to her, was in it only for one thing, and that was her money. money. And that's the way she would look at people, and it's, it's, it's very difficult, I would think, to go through life that way. My, my oldest friend, Gary, is a fellow who lived in apartment 5H when I lived in apartment 5G on Girard mm -hmm. Avenue. Mm -hmm. And he and I grew up we began together in a crib, playing in each other's cribs, and we're friends to this day. She never had, as far as I could tell, a friend. She had courtiers. She had people who would surround her, who would flatter her, and who would try to approach her. She had lots of those, but a friend, someone who you could share you know, the intimacies of life with, your, your real thoughts, your real feelings, I never saw one of those. And I think the reason for that is she never had one of those. What was her life like with Harry Helmsley? It was loving and it was sad. When I came into uh, Leona Helmsley's life, uh, Harry was uh, 
he had already been declared incompetent to stand trial because he had also been indicted. And he was at the bottom part of a, of a, uh, of, of a downward, of a decline. Mm-hmm. But she cared for him so punctiliously. She would do everything for him. She would make sure that he was dressed properly, that he was always clean, that he sat at the lunch table and at the dinner table, even though it was difficult for him to eat and even though he really couldn't communicate. He made, she made sure he had 24-hour-a-day nurses. But at the end of the day, I would be up in her apartment. Her apartment was on the 46th floor of the Park Lane Hotel. There'd be two security guards outside her door 24-7. And at the end of the day, when the nurses would lead Harry away to take care of him, it would just be she and, and me. And we'd sit in her sumptuous living room or den with pictures of her glory days around her, she and Harry being worshipped by people, basically, and going to these fancy social events. But at the end of the day, it was just a lonely woman Mm -hmm. who had nobody, basically, to, to talk to and to unburden herself in her own way, but a lawyer who she had met, you know, some years earlier, me, and she didn't have somebody else. She didn't have close family. She had a brother who she wasn't terribly close to, and she had some grandchildren who, of course, had their own lives. Very nice people, but they, they had their own lives. So at the end of the day, we would sit in her glorious apartment with a magnificent view of all of Manhattan. If you look to your right, you could see the East River. If you look to your left, you could see the Hudson. If you looked up north, you could almost see Canada. It was just magnificent. Unbelievable. Now, in the book, and I wish we had a lot more time because this is fascinating, folks. You should pick up the book, The Accidental Philanthropist, from a Bronx stickball uh, lot to Manhattan courtrooms and Deering Leona Helmsley's billions. The bottom line is she was a lot nicer than the public perceived her and very philanthropical, Sandy. Uh, yes, she was. And, and she didn't really get credit for her philanthropy. And uh, much of The Accidental Philanthropist describes what we did after her passing when she left when she died she left an estate of 5.4 billion that's with a b dollars virtually all of it she left to a charitable trust that hadn't yet been set up and she left uh, just uh, five people two of them have passed away so it's just three of us now in charge of this enormous philanthropic wealth and her only instructions to us were we should do with that money what we thought would be good for mankind. So one day, in effect, I'm walking down the street and a barrel of money, a barrel of gold is opened at my feet and I'm told, along with my other co-trustees, do with this money what you think would help mankind. Didn't she leave a lot of money to her pet? Didn't she leave a lot of money to a pet? She left a lot of money, but not what the papers claimed. There were articles all over the world that said she lost, she left her entire estate to her dog or to dogs in general. In fact, she didn't. She left us with full discretion. She did make a $12 million, set up a $12 million trust 
for her dog, which we felt was excessive after we became trustees, and we had the court reduce it to $2 million. Uh, and the dog died a few years later, so that money also went into the charitable trust. It would have been worth it to just get down on my uh, back and roll over and have you scratch my belly for a $12 million <laughs> legacy. <laughs> Sandy, this book is fabulous. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you're getting uh, the thrust of this uh, very interesting human interest story uh, on the accidental philanthropist. And Sandy, good work. When you go back to the Bronx, as I did, it's shocking to see what has happened to our old neighborhoods, isn't it? Well, yes, but I, I do go back and I do remember and it helps me today. And like you said, it was a good place to do the push-ups of life. Yes, it certainly was. Uh, Sandy Frankel, a pleasure. I hope we run into each other again. Thanks a lot. So do I. Thank you very much. Having the opportunity to talk with uh, uh, Sandy Frankel was uh, very reminiscent of growing up in the Bronx. We all have friends that we grew up with. He shared a crib Uh, basically with somebody and still his friend. I have a friend from when I was three years old. We keep in touch absolutely every month. And it's just wonderful when you have your old friendships. Those are the real friends. There are many others who become friends. Then there are acquaintances. But differentiation uh, is certainly important. And the old friends came from the Bronx. Money Matters with Gary Goldberg. Income matters. And it can come from many sources. We at Money Matters like dividend-paying stocks. We prefer high-quality dividend-paying stocks, not for everything in your investment portfolio and not all of the time. Still, if you're seeking income after retirement, look for companies with a history of raising their dividends on a regular basis. Give me a call, Gary Goldberg, at 845-368-0010. That's 845-368-0010. Talk to me about investing in high-quality, dividend-paying stocks and how to integrate them into your portfolio. Quality dividend-paying stocks can bring you income during retirement, even in years of a rough market landscape or a period of slow economic growth. Again, give me a call at 845-368-0010 for a conversation about dividend-paying stocks or to set up a no-charge, no-obligation consultation with me personally. I have been providing real money management for real people for over four decades. 845-368-0010. 845-368-0010. You're listening to the best of Gary Goldberg on the Money Matters Radio Network. We're at the end of our show for today, ladies and gentlemen, and... um, I was reminded in a conversation I had with a friend of mine not long ago who uh, was not terribly successful. And uh, I remember asking him, uh, Mike, um, how long does it take you to get to work in the morning? And his answer to me was about an hour after I reach the office. (laughs) Why am I sharing that with you? To make proper investment decisions, you need to do the work. It's a full-time job for an advisor. Is your advisor on the golf course or is that advisor, whether it is a he or she, putting in the work? Are they doing their push-ups? That's how I've always described it. So when I asked my friend, how long does it take you to get to work in the morning? And he said, about an hour after I reached the office, having run a successful money management firm for years, 
I always wandered the halls of our office building and uh, I saw who was really working and who was not. That's what a boss does. That's what an employer does. Make sure that you are associating with somebody who does the work for you. If you're paying them a fee, make sure that they are paying attention to you. And you know what? Communication with that advisor is extremely important. They should not be hiding under a rock if markets come down and don't just have them call you when things are hunky-dory. I hope you enjoyed today's program. Thank you for listening. This has been Gary Goldberg on Money Matters. Make it a great day. Securities offered through Newbridge Securities Corporation, member FINRA, SIPC, and investment advisory services offered through Newbridge Financial Services Group Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Office of Supervisory Jurisdiction, 1200 North Federal Highway, Suite 400, Boca Raton, Florida, 33432, toll-free number 877-447-9625. This is not an offer to purchase or sell a security. Such offers can only be made after a thorough review of offering materials and a sustainability review by a qualified professional. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. No investment strategy can guarantee a profit or protect against loss in periods of declining values. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and are not intended as investment advice or to predict future performance. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Consult your financial professional before making any investment decision. This information is designed to provide general information on the subjects covered. It is not, however, intended to provide specific legal or tax advice and cannot be used to avoid tax penalties or to promote market or recommend any tax plan or arrangement. Please note that Gary Goldberg, Newbridge Securities Corp., and Newbridge Financial Services Group Incorporated and their affiliates do not give legal or tax advice. You are encouraged to consult your tax advisor or attorney. Prefer staying at home? Let us do the shopping. Wegmans Delivery, powered by Instacart, lets you stock your pantry with all your favorites and fill your fridge with the freshest produce, meat, seafood, and more. Plus, we're here to make meals easy. Enjoy our delicious variety of sushi, sides, salads, and freshly prepared entrees. Order today at Wegmans.com or in the Wegmans app, and we'll deliver right to your door. Wegmans Delivery, one more way we give you our best every day. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.